my thesis statement is disciples are lifelong learners who fight for joy and usefulness by placing themselves in the path of blessing or the way of allurement. That's, I'll explain that later. That's a guy, Jonathan Edwards, said that. So hear that, and I want you to try to follow me because I'm, I'm a little distracted. Let me tell you why I'm distracted. I'm, uh, my wonderful daughter-in-law from Washington State came in last Sunday night with our two grandchildren, aged almost two and eight weeks, and we've just, just been having a great time. My sister-in-law from Dallas came in on Tuesday. She's a wonderful person, doesn't fit any of the sister-in-law's jokes. Um, my daughter-in-law had some friends who used to go to this church and now live out of state or just moved back to Greenville, come down with their three kids and spend the weekend with us. Just a lot of stuff going on. Just a lot of stuff going on. Yesterday, I was, we're, we're renovating our house, so I have about five shirts and three pairs of slacks because everything else is in storage. All my shirts were being cleaned except this one, and I was on my way to the dry cleaner to get it, and I got a message that Knox Kuiper has arrived. And so I, I just, you know, you start screaming like you just won the national championship and beat Alabama 35-31, you know, get really excited. And uh, forgot my shirt, so that's why this does not match. I know that. I know men are colorblind, but this is really bad. I know that, so forgive me for that fashion faux pas. Those of you who are from the Greenville, Spartanburg area, uh, forgive me. That was a joke. They don't have to taste it there. So anyway, um, I'll say all that to say I really want you to get this. We did have a grandson, Knox Kuiper, was born yesterday, five pounds. Five pounds and 15 ounces of twisted steel, and uh, so we're excited. So it's just good. It's just real good. But I want, you to, I want you to get this. I did a terrible job in the last service trying to get this across. So I really want you to get this. I'm going to take out a couple of things, maybe add one or two things. But, but discipleship is, is the process of being equipped. Disciples are lifelong learners. We are never done learning. Never. We never arrive. And, and so we want to equip people. And so um, equip is to supply with necessary items for a particular purpose. To, to supply with necessary items for a particular purpose. We are called to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever and to represent Him to those around us. So we need to be equipped for a particular purpose. We have a purpose statement as a church, and this is the purpose statement. It is equipping disciples or people to pursue Christ passionately to impact the culture. So you're equipped to pursue Jesus passionately to impact the culture. Um, that, that's, that's what we're about, discipleship. Disciples are lifelong learners. I believe that the concept of discipleship is shown forth in a passage in Luke chapter 5. Discipleship, being a lifelong learner, is the continuous movement from obedience, which is good, to being enthralled with the greatness of Christ. You see, 
gift. You, you do the right thing, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but as you do the right thing, you're pleading, let me see the glory and the blessedness and the joy that comes in knowing Christ. So in Luke chapter 5, it's a story about from the life of the Lord. Um, he has chosen some fishermen to be his disciples. And it says in verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. They, they were done. They were done fishing. They were washing the nets. It was time to go home and relax and get some food. And get into one of the boats, which was Peter's boat. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, the fisherman, Jesus the carpenter, to the fisherman, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing but at your word I will let down the nets. To me, I think Peter does this because Jesus asked him to. Somewhat begrudgingly, Master, we fished all night, but I'll do it because you tell me to. And he probably said it loud enough so that his contemporaries heard him and understood that he was being obedient. So obedience. Obedience is good. But I believe as a disciple, I want to continuously move from obedience to being mesmerized, enthralled, and riveted by the glory of Jesus. So listen. And when they had done this, they enclosed, they let down their nets, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I mean, wow. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, master, obedience to falling down on your face, in your boat, in the midst of fish, saying, depart from me, O living God, glorious Savior. And so to me, discipleship is the continuous movement. Sometimes you just, you obey because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. But you're always saying, God, may my emotions and my passions reflect not just obedience, but enthrallment. Example. If you're married, men, it is your responsibility, our responsibility to protect, provide for, and pursue our brides as long as we live. Whether you've been married for five days or 65 years. And part of that is rejoicing in and being glad that God has given you a wonderful wife. And so there are days that help us understand it's time to kick it in. Birthdays, anniversaries, Valentine's Day. If you 
are part of a men's group, and the men's group says we're going to do something nice for our wives this week and report on it next week. And so you go to yourself, man, the men's group is tomorrow. I better do something because those guys are going to ask me what I do. And so you stop at the local grocery store, and you get some flowers, and you come home, and your wife says to you, it's not February the 15th. It's not her birthday. It's not your anniversary. It's not St. Patrick's Day. It's not Cinco de Mayo. It's just a regular day. And she says to you, why are you doing this? And you say to her, well, sweetheart, I am in a men's group. <laughs> and our assignment for the week was to do something nice for our brides. And so we meet tomorrow at 6.30. So I, this is kind of the 11th hour Hail Mary here. You know, I, I just... I'm not sure your wife would deeply appreciate that. But if she were to say to you, why are you doing this? And you say, well, I was, I was coming home. You don't want to lie, but, you know, I, I, it's, it's okay to be in the men's group with accountability. But I was coming home, and I thought about what a wonderful wife you've been these X years. And I thought, if I had a thousand lives to live... I would never do as good as I did my first time around. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being patient with me and kind and putting up with more than almost any woman would and being the mother of our, 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 our children and washing the dog every week. I mean, thank you. Let me tell you something. That is good. That would be good. See, that's the difference between obedience, and there's nothing wrong with obedience. Don't misunderstand me. And enthrallment being riveted. And so equipping is the, the, the impacting of lifelong disciples of Jesus to move continuously from obedience, which is good, to being enthralled with the glory and presence of Jesus. It's very interesting that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul goes to a place called Corinth that is a major metropolitan area, a great economic center, a, a wonderful center of, of learning and education, a wealthy area. And Paul, who is an astute, incredible thinker with a philosophical mind, says, when I walked in among you, I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was about Christ. Or in this passage we'll look at a little bit today, 1 Timothy, Paul's going north of Ephesus, and he leaves Timothy in Ephesus, again, a major metropolitan area, commercial center, wealthy center with incredible opportunities. And, 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 he, and he says to Timothy, Tim, Timothy, I, I, I charge you to stay there and to command certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. I, I, you, you, I charge you to teach Christ. He uses the same word. It's a strong word, charge. He says, I charge you once again in chapter 6, uh, I charge you uh, to take hold of the eternal life into which you were called and about which you made the very good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus 
who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the Lord comes again. I charge you. Strong word. Again, chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, command them or charge them not to be haughty, nor to put their hope in wealth and riches, which is so uncertain, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I charge you. I charge you to remember the greatness of Christ. I charge you to hold fast to the, the Scripture. I charge you to be a man who understands the apostolic doctrine. Um, so in, in the, as we go into the, the marketplace and into the world around us that is so filled with different isms, and I, I was thinking about this, and I, th- I thought about Ephesus, and I thought about Corinth, and I thought about us, and I, I thought about in the marketplace of ideas in our world, there are many voices crying out to be heard, and the list is ponderous, but I just narrowed it down to three or four broad areas. One is radical individualism that says, I call the shots, and I'm the one who does what needs to be done, and it's all about me, and and yet the Bible says it's all about Christ. And so we preach Christ. We walk in obedience. Or, or we have, broadly speaking, existential nihilism, which means there's no hope for tomorrow, that we're going to die and perish, and there's nothing to live for, and there's nothing to die for. And I was thinking about this week, that concept, and I was thinking about what Jesus says in Luke 17, where he says, remember Lot's wife. You know, she turned to a pillar of salt because she looked back on Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Jesus says this, and he says it so many times in different places, in different ways. He says, whoever tries to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will preserve it. And there's hope. There's hope beyond the grave. There's hope for this life. And I thought about the wild mysticism where people just believe and think about anything and everything, and there's no foundations. They just believe stuff that's kind of out there. But we believe the story about a man who was God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, and who died on the cross and rose victorious over death, was seen by at least 500 men, and then he ascended to heaven, and he's going to call earth to an end one day. And it won't be through the solar eclipse. There's no reason to, to, to be, there's no reason to panic. We'll be alive tomorrow night. The world's not coming to an end. But just in case, buy a lot of food, okay? Seriously, I mean, or, or I think about another broad area is sensuality. And uh, I was reading something this week, an article about this is the 50th anniversary of the summer of love. Those of us who are a little bit older, 1967, free love, free drugs, free whatever. And, and, and that, that movement, which was unleashed in 1967, has never been called to retreat. We live in an age of incredible sensuality. And yet in this marketplace of ideas, we are called to be disciples of Jesus and to present the gospel of Christ in a very tangible, simple, glorious way. And so I need to be a disciple who is equipped. I need to be a man who moves continuously from obedience to being enthralled. I want to be enthralled with the greatness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Obedience is good. So I'm going to give you a few principles about being equipped. Number one, equipping is a fight for my joy and usefulness. When I, when I 
come to worship or to study the Bible or to community groups or to whatever, where, where the Word of God is being proclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a fight for my joy and my usefulness. I, I love First Timothy 1, last verse 10b through following. He says, you know, these, these whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, verse 11, in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God to which I've been entrusted. The word sound means life-giving, life-affirming, life-enhancing. So, 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 the, 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 the good news, the gospel, the apostolic teaching is good news, life-enhancing news, life-fulfilling news that Jesus is God. And it's, it's the gospel of the glorious, blessed, or happy God. So, so I, I, I fight for my joy. And the same word sound is such a great word. The same word is used in verse 3 of chapter 6. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, life-giving words, life-enhancing words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with Godness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. See, this is sound teaching. It's life-giving. It's life-enhancing. And so I, I fight for my joy when I'm being equipped and I, I think biblically and I, I read and I, um, I do that. I think of Paul in a horrible situation in the book of Philippians. He's, he's a prisoner, a Roman prisoner. And he's writing to this church of Philippi and he says, you know, I, I'm an old man. He said, Really? It'd be sweet to go to heaven instead of being chained to a guard. He said, I'm, I'm torn between the two. I, I want to go to heaven, he says, for, to, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I said, that is really good news. He says, so, so I've had this struggle. And he says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. I thought, that's a great job description for a godly parent or a Sunday school teacher or a community group leader or a pastor or an elder. I'm going I'm to hang around for your progress and your joy in the faith. See? So, so being equipped is a fight for my joy and my usefulness, my, my progress in the faith and my joy in the faith. Being equipped involves the totality of my being. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, this informed by the word, and a sincere faith that's able to be taught, kind of sort of, okay? Totality, heart, soul, mind, strength. Therefore, therefore, we reject unbiblical caricatures and statements. Example, people say this, occasionally I hear things like this, and this, um, I, I really like to study. I like to 
bore down. I like to read strong books, and but that's what I like to do. I, I'm not that concerned with emotions, but I love to study. And uh, we, we reject that. That's unbiblical. Sissy, my prayer is that as I study, that my emotions reflect the depth of the glory and the brilliance and the majesty of Jesus by, by, by the Spirit. I mean, that, that, so my emotions need to catch up with what I believe. Other people say, well, you know, I, I'm not really into studying, but I love experience. And I, I love just, I love experience. I, I love I love singing. I love singing. I love singing. Somebody asked me this week, can you really meditate on the Bible as you sing worship songs? I said, yes, if they're biblical. Absolutely. I love singing. But, but if you say, I, I don't really want to study, I, don't, I, 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 I want to experience, that's unbiblical. Or other people say, well, you know, I'm not into study or experience, but I want to do things. I want to love the indigent, and I want to do the, do the homeless thing, and I want to go to the prisons. Those, that's glorious. But you see, the, the, the biblical model is, is my mind grabs my passions, which opens up my heart to do. You see that? you got to be equipped. There is a book that one person that I read frequently said is the best book in the last 10 years in Christendom, which I think is a way overstatement. I read the book. It's an okay book. But it's gotten a lot of traction. It's called The Benedict Option by a guy named Rod Dreher. And what, what Rod Dreher says is he, the, the Benedict Option, there's a guy named Benedict of Nursia who died around 530, and he started the Benedictine Order, which people withdrew, and they lived together, and they thought, and they prayed, and they followed a strict order of living, which included praying seven times a day and getting up real early, very strict. Twelve communities were started during Benedict's life, Benedict of Nursia. Anyway, the Benedict Option. And what Rob Dreher is saying is that, is that Christians need to, in this day and age, we really have to think intentionally and live intentionally and have close community. So I'm going to give you a, a thumbnail sketch of the book. You don't have to buy it. I'm sorry, Rod, you don't have to buy the book. You can just listen to what I'm going to say. So in chapter 6, he says, somebody comes up to him, and he says, the man said, after he'd been lecturing on the Benedict Option, based upon the Benedict of the, who died in 530. He said, um, the Benedict option is just like being a Christian, right? And I said, yes, you figured it out. But people won't do it unless you call it something different to get their attention. If you call it living in the church as God's people, nobody's going to buy it, in other words. He says, Really, this is just a church being what a church is supposed to be. But if you give it a different name, people will care about it. So it's really the church being the church, being intentional about community and learning and thinking and applying. Later in the book, he says this, which I thought was very good. He said we need to succeed from mainstream culture as believers at times. Turn off the TV, put away the smartphones, read books, play games, make music, feast with your neighbor. It is not enough to avoid what is bad. You must also embrace what is good. Join a group within your church. Open a classical Christian school or join and strengthen one that exists. 
plant a garden, participate in a local farmer's market, teach kids how to play an instrument, start a band, join the volunteer fire department. Close quote. And what he's saying is it's just really the church being the church. So church, the biblical pattern is you learn, your heart is gripped, and you live it. Deuteronomy 6 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible where Moses is writing to the children of Israel and he says that you've got to be people who do this. Just verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you Lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall, they shall be frontless between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The lady says, it is the Lord your God, Jehovah. You shall reverence him or fear him. Verse 18, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. And that you may go in and possess the land. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear our God for our good always, that he might preserve us. See, understand emotionally that it may go well with me, grab that, and then live it out. I need to be continuously equipped to grab my emotions, to live it out. Third principle, life, we, we are lifelong learners. We're never done learning. We're never done with the need to think and meditate and be quiet. Because, in part, we're leaky buckets. I'm a leaky bucket. You never arrive. I need you in my life. I need people in my life who just, you know, when I come, see, when I, when I come to church on the Lord's Day, it is a fight for my joy. If I come to worship because it's the Lord's Day and I'm supposed to be here, that, that's, that's okay. But I would really want you to come here because you're fighting for your joy and your usefulness before the living God. i got to get a glimpse of Jesus. I've got to sing and think, and I've got to talk to people that I love and who care for me, and I've got to walk through the Welcome Center, and, and I'm, I'm going to see young families with little children who want to be pleasing to the Lord, and I'm going to see kids that I've known for years who want to be pleasing, and it, it just thrills my heart, and I'm going to see older people who, who, who've been married for years and years and years, but there's a freshness and a vitality about their faith that just causes me to explode with, with expectation. I need the body of Christ. And so when I come here, it's not my duty. I am come here because I'm fighting for my joy. I, I want to move from master. I'll do it because you said to, to Almighty God, you are Lord, and I'm going to lay here among stinking fish because you're worthy of worship. So, so I, I, I need that. And there's a man I love much a lot named Jonathan Edwards. This is what he said. He's preaching a sermon on Song of Solomon, five of all places. And, and he says, says this. He says, you must, we must have our, our, our desires inflamed 
to obtain more spiritual pleasures. I just love the words here. We must endeavor, not, not past tense, but present tense, endeavor to promote a spiritual, promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. Now, I love that. I want you to get it. Laying yourself in the way of allurement so that when I get up in the morning and read the Bible and pray and try to think thoughts and wake up, I am placing myself in the path where Jesus is walking, or he says, the way of allurement. And I'm saying, Lord, I am here. I need you to touch me and teach me. When I come to worship, I'm laying myself in the path where Jesus is walking in the way of allurement. So, so this, if you're a believer, is a fight for your joy and usefulness. It's very important. The way of allurement. I'm like blind Bartimaeus in the Gospels who, who heard a commotion. He's been blind since he was born. And he says, what's going on? They says, well, this teacher named Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And Bartimaeus says, basically, he says, you mean, is he the one that is the great healer? Yeah, that, that's the one. And so they put him by the path and he starts screaming with all of his might, Lord Jesus, son of David, which attributes to him divinity, he's God, have mercy on me. They said, Bartimaeus, be quiet. You're blind. You're an outcast. Don't bother him. Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. What do you want? Lord, I want to see. Boom. See, that's the path. Lord Jesus, Almighty God, have mercy on me. I'm dry. I'm, I'm dry. I'm struggling here. Have mercy. I'm going to put myself in the path of allurement. John Donne, poet, Anglican pastor, wrote Death Be Not Proud, lived in the 1600s, later 1600s, wrote some great poems. This is one, I've, I've quoted this before, it just it speaks to me, it's, it's the prayer of my heart so often. It's entitled, Batter My Heart, Try Person God, or Subdue My Heart, Subdue My Heart. I just read part of it. Batter my heart, try personed God, or break my heart, or capture my heart. Try personed God for you as yet, but knock and breathe and shine and seek to mend. But I, like a captured town, belong to another. I labor to admit you, but oh, to no end. He said, Lord, I want to see you, but, but I feel like I'm captured by the enemy, and I want to, I want to see you, but I don't, I, don't, I don't see you. He said, reason, thinking, your viceroy in me, me should defend, but is captived and pr proves weak or untrue. So I've tried to think. I, I can't think well, Lord. This is my prayer sometimes. 
He said, yet, yet dearly I love you and I would be loved fain, but I am betrothed to your enemy. Divorce me, untie or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you. Enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste except you ravish me. By strong language. He says, he says Lord, here, here I am. I want to know you. I want to serve you. But, but, but unless you take me to yourself. He says, imprison me. Except you enthrall me. Unless I see the glory of Christ, I'll never be free. I'll never be chased. Except you capture me and take me away as yours. I want to so see the majesty of Christ that, that the things that so many people pursue just don't hold on me. That's my prayer. And that's why I need to be equipped. That's why I need to see Christ. That's why I've got to be a lifelong learner, brothers and sisters. That's my prayer. So point four. Um, if I'm going to be equipped, I've got to do certain things that place me in the path of allurement or the path of blessing. And I would ask you to consider this and to pray about this. And that is to make Sunday special. Uh, there's a confessional statement that we call the Baptist Faith of Message. There's a statement in the worship guide that talks about the Lord's Day. It's a special day. That's as old as the Bible, or old as Mount Sinai, the Sabbath, the S Sunday. Uh, we live in a culture and a time when I was growing up many, many years ago. Uh, everybody had Sunday school. I mean, everybody did. Now, very few people have Sunday school. At a time when I think we need to learn to think biblically more than ever before, we don't have Sunday school. We now we call it Sunday Bible Fellowship because, you know, you've got to dress it up and make it kind of jazzy. Pretty soon we call it nifty dudes hanging out together on Sunday morning, groovy, whatever, I don't know. But anyway, Sunday Bible Fellowship. So what I'm saying to you is that uh, we're asking you to really pray about and consider being part of Worship and Sunday Bible Fellowship or serving the church. Either equip you or equip them. I mean, I, uh, we need to be equipped and Sunday's here and we ought to do it. So we have a wonderful lineup of teachers who are wonderful in, in their application, all types of classes, and we want you to be involved. And you see, when you come to these things, you put yourself in the path of allurement, the path of blessing. I, 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 I want to be there. So that's, that's the big deal. That's the big deal. I want to go against the stream, do the right thing, whatever. But see, my, my, my plea is for you and for me that we go from continuously because, you know, emotions are like the waves. We go from saying like Peter, Master, I'll do it because you told me to do it, to depart from me. I am a sinful man, O oh, Lord. Enthrallment, riveted, heart-filled. So please, let's pray for that, for each other. Let's pray.
Lord, uh, this is um, a wonderful day. It is a day that is the Lord's Day because we celebrate every Sunday the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that we were able earlier in this hour of worship to take the Lord's Supper to remember afresh the centrality of Jesus. And we want that in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Uh, move us, Lord, continuously uh, uh, from the, the, the wonderful place. It's a good place of being obedient, but to the ultimate place of joy, which is being enthralled with the greatness of Christ. Uh, equip us for a journey where we can represent Christ and live as unto you uh, to the glory of your name. Um, so, Lord, please work in us, and we, we would ask that you would capture afresh our passions and our energy and our resolve to live for Christ, in whose name we pray.